Let's get back into the Word. We've been going through um, the Bible, like she said, uh, from start to finish. And we're not covering everything, obviously, but we're following the story of God. So quickly, let me bring us back to where we are. And uh, we're getting closer to Christ. There's not much. There's a few more, but, but, but we're getting closer to Christ. So we started with in the beginning. God created everything. He was there before the beginning, and he made all things. God is a very unique and unexplainable God, but that doesn't make him not there. It just means we can't fully grasp this three-in-one God that we know to be true. But in his power and authority, he created all things, and he created, in the midst of creating this earth and everything on it, he created a, a person, a man, in his own image, uh, placed there to take care of the place, but that man, and then gave him a woman, a partner, and the two of them, though, instead of choosing to worship and follow the Lord, choose, chose to make this kingdom their own, and in doing so, death entered the world, and sin was the catalyst for that. Sin is choosing anything else over God, really, uh, and that's what they did, and so death enters the world. Death comes to all things within the world. Everything dies, everything decays, even inanimate objects decay. It becomes this world just full of death. But God in that moment also promised that he would restore, he would make right what man had, the death that man had brought. Um, and he promised that would come through a, a, a child, a seed of Eve. And so we've been following that thread through the Bible looking for that person because that all starts in the first couple of pages of the whole book. And then begins the story of history looking for this seed. And we followed it down through time, um, down through the flood and through Noah's family and carried through the flood. And then on the other side of the flood, down through the generations to a man named Abraham. And then from Abraham down through the generations of Isaac and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, correct? And Jacob had how many sons? Twelve sons, right, become the twelve tribes of Israel. And those twelve uh, families become a nation. As they grow, they end up finding themselves enslaved in Egypt. But God promises to deliver them from Egypt by sending them who? Who does he send to Egypt to deliver them out? Moses. Thank you. Here we go. Moses. You... Yeah, I, I, this is a team effort, right? Moses. So he sends Moses. Moses leads them out. Moses is a picture of the Messiah leading them out of the bondage of slavery. And that's what he promised the seed would do one day is lead them out of the bondage of sin. So it, here's this picture he, of, of the Savior in, in Moses. And Moses leads them out of Egypt, brings them into the desert, gives them, God gives them through Moses his laws and Basically makes a marriage covenant with them. Basically, they have this agreement that we're going to go into this land that I'm going to give you. And we're going to be, I promise to give it to your, your father, Abraham. And we're going to be a family together. And they agree, yes, we're going to keep your laws and we're going to do that. And, and, and if you don't, if you break the covenant with me, I, I, I am not going to forsake you forever because you're my people. But you can't stay here. You're not going to stay here. 
You're not going to stay on my land, in my place, in this place where we've promised to be together. For instance, it's kind of like, not to be too graphic, but it's kind of like saying it's not going to happen in my bed. It's like that kind of thing. You're out. It's out. You're out. I love you, but you're not staying here. All right? So that was what he told them. Now, guess what they do when they go into that promised land? Cheat, 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 cheat. Go from one God to the next God to the next God back to their God, Jehovah, Yahweh. When things go uh, so bad they can't take it anymore, they repent. And, and, and this crazy cycle of repentance and rebellion just kind of roll around and around. And God raises up judges at first to help guide and direct them back to the Lord. And then he raises up kings to lead them And then while the kings are in place, he brings prophets, and the prophets come, and the prophets have one message. What is it? One word. Do you know? Repent. Repent. Go home. Think about repent that way, by the way. Don't think about it as, man, i got to confess all this crud again. You, You need to, yes. But think about it like you're going home. Think about it like the prodigal son. It's Repent means you just turn around, like go back. You know, go back. So he have all these prophets, and that's what we've been looking at now is the prophets. And we're coming to this place where if you read through the Bible and you read all of it chronologically, and we're doing it chronologically, but if you're reading it all, it starts to get real heavy about where we are. We're in Jeremiah, so you can turn to Jeremiah now if you want. But Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, it starts to get real heavy at this point. And, and, and the weight of what's going on starts to really wear you out if you've been reading it. Because it, it, God's really about at the end of his patience. Uh, actually, he is. The northern kingdom of Israel, remember the kingdom even became divided. They, they had a civil war amongst themselves. And the northern kingdom, which was ten of the twelve tribes, they, they all split off. And then God brought Assyria in judgment and scattered them everywhere. Well, Assyria gets conquered by who? Do you know? In history? The biggest name, the most common city mentioned in the Bible other than Jerusalem. Babylon. Babylon comes along and destroys Assyria. And then Babylon now is the world power. And God brings Babylon to Jerusalem's doorstep because Jerusalem is continuing to do the same things. And God raises up prophets in Jerusalem to, he's been doing it, but he's doing it now as things are starting to get bad. Ultimately, Babylon is going to drag off Jerusalem and all of, most all of its and have all the good people, quote unquote. You know, if, 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 if they're, they're homeless or they're thieves or they're criminals, they can stay. But if they have any hope of being success in society, we want them. Drag those people off, the educated, the successful, and leave the, quote, garbage behind uh, in Jerusalem. And that's after destroying the city, leveling the temple, killing millions, starving people to death. Some of the things in there are really heavy and really hard. And I'm not saying all this to be heavy. I'm just saying that because I want to set where we are now in the story. And as we're reading these prophets, man... Don't think about them so much as, man, doom, gloom, doom, gloom, even though that's what they're saying. Think about it as, it's God, they are the power of God. They're the word of God, and they're offering restoration. They're offering hope. They're, they're pointing to the Messiah, ultimately. Somebody that's going to bring that. And we're going to look at people that God has positioned, listen to me, in a perfect place, even though it seems like the worst place to be. 
And he's put them there at a perfect time, even though it would seem like the most horrible time to be there. All right? Keep that in your mind as we look at this. Today, you're made for this. That's the title of what we're going to look at. You're made for this. Jeremiah 1. Look at verse 4. And Jeremiah is close to the middle of the book. If you flip open your Bible to the middle, you're going to hit Psalms, but it's not far off of that. It's a big book, so it shouldn't be too hard for you to find it. Jeremiah, we're looking at the first uh, first chapter, verse 4. Word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Lord, your word, as I say every week, is amazing. It's awesome. It's incredible. It, it, it shakes me up even before I get up here. But much like what uh, Jeremiah says here in his text, we'll look at in a minute, Lord, it, it's your word in my mouth. I don't want it to be my word in your mouth. I don't want it to be your word in mine. You speak your word, Lord. You say whatever you want to say so, so I can learn, too. I'm here with a microphone. I'm on a stage. But, Lord, I'm here to hear from you. And so I pray, even as I work through notes I prepared, I still I still make notes on notes because you show me things, even as I'm running my mouth up here, Lord. Thank you for that. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. How many things in your home have zero purpose? Yeah, think about that for a second. I, you know what's funny is I asked this, and the women immediately giggle, and the men just look stone-faced. Like, what are you talking about? Like, uh, we have in our, in our intake for our, uh, our main intake for our air conditioning system inside the house, we opened it up to the first time whenever we needed to and changed the filter. And inside that thing, there is a huge air horn. And it's right outside our bedroom. And I mean, it is a huge air horn. It's about as long as my forearm. And I'm like, what in the... Like, that would scare the skin off of your body if that thing went off and you were in the... And I don't even know what it was connected to. We tried to figure it out. I have no idea. I got all kinds of theories, but we just ended up shutting it. And it's, it's never gone off. It's never done anything. But the truth is, nothing in your home is without purpose. Nothing. Even... The gum wrapper that I opened a minute ago, now that it's sitting trash back there, but it had a purpose for about a second. Everything, everything has a purpose. The things that you feel may not have a purpose are only that way because you've decided you're not interested in determining what it is or it no longer serves you the way that it might have before. One of the two things, but its purpose is already there. Purpose was already there before it was created. Before it does anything, there was a purpose for it. That's why it was made. Before it was introduced to you, it had a purpose in being made. And maybe you feel like today that's where you are. Like, I don't have, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't have, do I even have a purpose? What's the point? Why am I here? What, what What purpose could I possibly have? Maybe you think you know what it is, but it scares you to death. I don't know. Um... But I can tell you this, you do have a purpose. And if you're a follower of Christ, I can promise you this too. His word makes clear what that purpose is. So we're going to look at that today. Here's your one sentence I always like to give you so you can just hold a thought in your brain. Because God created us uniquely with a purpose, we can speak his word without fear of others or concern over our own limitations. That's the big one. 
That's the big one for me. Because God created us uniquely with a purpose. We can speak his word without fear of others or concern over our own limitations. So look back at verse 4, Jeremiah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, dude, imagine this moment really quick. We've talked about this before already. The word came saying. Uh, If he just said, I heard a word from the Lord, we could interpret that anyway. But the way he's saying this, what do you think this looks like? Came means to happen or to come to pass. In the beginning, God said, let there be light and there was light. Same word. Came. There was a presence there. The word of the Lord came to be there. To say to me. And I think, as I've said before, the word of the Lord is a title for God. Not a voice in the sky. Not a voice in his ear. Not a big sound from above. It started all the way back with Abraham. In Genesis 15, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. By the time we get to the New Testament, John will say the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. I think it is the person. You think I'm crazy? Look back at Jeremiah. Look at verse 9. Same chapter. Look at verse 9. The Lord put out his what? Hand and touched me. Touched my mouth. He's there. It's not symbolic. He's there. What did he look like? I don't know. Jeremiah, help me out, dude. Tell me. What color was his eyes? I don't know. <laughs> Jeremiah's not concerned with all that. But he's there. Uh, and, he, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put... My words in your mouth. That's what I was saying a minute ago in the prayer. I love that statement. Man, ask God for that on the regular. Put your words in my mouth. I don't think that means that he's going to speak supernatural, crazy, weird stuff out of you and talk about, you know, the future and all that bunch. That's not putting his word in your mouth. This is his word. (laughs) Take this and put this in my mouth. That, that, that's, the, that's the ticket right there. Put your word in my mouth. Okay, back, back to verse 4. Word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. What are the implications of that statement? Those are some crazy wild words he just said. Remember, he's saying it to Jeremiah. Psalm 139, you can look at it in your own time, but David understood the same thing. David, David wrote and felt the same way. God formed you. In the womb, in the womb, he formed you. And be, just, I can't get my brain around. Before that, he knew you. Before the womb. Before the womb, he knew you. Knew is not an intellectual word. It's an emotional word. It means, it's like a word for intimacy. He was... He loved you. He was intimately connected or aware of you beforehand. So some say, well, this is proof of reincarnation. See, there was a life before this life or whatever. Not true. Some say, okay, well, this is evidence of a well of souls, they say, where, and a lot of faiths believe this, where there's, so, there's souls in heaven already. So you existed in heaven already in some way with God, and you were sent here when it was your time to be born no evidence of that in Scripture either. This is not talking about pre-existence. All this is doing, God's just saying his, his plan came from his vision of you executing it. You understand that? His plan came from his vision of you ex- executing it. It started with this picture of you doing it. He created you for it, not it, and then said, I hope somebody will do it one day. He created whatever it is. He created you for it. And and therefore, he saw you even 
beforehand. He became so enamored with you, in love with you, this vision of you, who you're going to be for this purpose he created for you. Paul said the same things, Galatians 1.15. Paul just said, he set, he set me apart before I was born and called me by grace. Paul said the same thing. When we think about purpose, though, we envision, we envision that line. You're made for this. That's what we think. But we make that about our dreams coming true. I was made to win the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? I was made, I was made to live in a mansion or on a beach. I was made to own this beach, you know. I was made to be Tom Cruise. I don't know what it is, you know. I, I was made for whatever your dreams are. We start trying to do that. But the, the this is what we need to ask God about. Not decide and then ask God to bless it. What is the this? What did you make me for? You made me. He's the architect. He's the builder. Both. He designs it. He builds it. He's the inventor. And he's the artist. So all of those things, he holds all the patents, all of them. He's the potter, right? That's the familiar one. We are his artistry. We're his design. We're his creation. That's, that's who we are. Verse 5 says, before you were born, I, I consecrated, I set you apart. Man, think about what he's saying there. It's like, he didn't say I made, it's not saying he's perfect. It's not what it means. Just saying I, I set you apart. Jeremiah, you're, you're different. In that you have a specific purpose with your life that's for my glory. You're not better than everybody else. But you have a specific purpose in your life that's for my glory. So I set you apart. Doesn't mean nobody else has a purpose. Because Ezekiel's on the earth at the same time. Daniel's on the earth at the same time. Who knows who else? Those are the other Bible characters that we know that are huge and they're preaching too because doesn't mean your message is totally unique because they're preaching the same thing um in fact ezekiel and jeremiah say some of the exact same things which is crazy because they were in two different places jeremiah was in jerusalem and ezekiel was in babylon we'll talk about ezekiel later but it does mean that you're designed for a particular audience it does mean that you have a particular voice. My country accent is not a waste of God's time. You know what I mean? I think that sometimes, but who knows? You know what I'm saying? Your voice matters. It's, for, it's particular. Your audience matters. It's in particular. That doesn't mean, by the way, that they're going to love you, the audience. They didn't love Jeremiah. Some did, but most didn't. Um, it just means they're your mission. Same for us. Ask that question. Who's, who's my mission, Lord? Like, who is it? Who is it? Who's my audience? And you likely got more than one. And it will likely change throughout your lifetime. Jeremiah's audience, he says, is the nations. Basically, that means to all ears. To, to all ears. And what's awesome is what he's literally saying is, I gave you. That's what the word means. I gave you to the nations. Man, think about that. God, I wish I was called. I don't know what I'm called to do, God, but I wish I was called. What if called meant, okay, I'll give you. Molly, I give you to Saudi Arabia. Well, hold up now. You know, John, I give you to Colombia. 
I give you to Russia right now. I give you to Iran right now. I give you to Iran. I give you to Phoenix. It's the same thing. Not just I called you to Phoenix. Like I give you, I gave you, Javier, I gave you to Guadalupe. I gave you. That changes the whole way that you think about it. I know, well, I haven't been to seminary. Maybe that's the down the road someday. I haven't been to seminary. I don't know the whole Bible. Uh, what if somebody argues with me? I don't have all the answers. I don't, you know, I'm not old enough. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm whatever. I know that's the, that's the same thing Jeremiah says. Look at verse 6. Then Jeremiah says to God, oh, Lord God, behold, I, I don't know how to speak. He's thinking like as a pastor or a missionary or a prophet. He's saying, I don't know how to like, I don't have that voice and all that. And, and I'm only a kid. I'm only a youth. It probably means he was in his 20s. Doesn't mean he's a five-year-old here. That word in Hebrew covers a young, young adult. So, public speaking, number one most common fear in the world. You know, that's, at least that's what they say. Public speaking, most common fear. But there's no mention of how large this audience is. He says to the nations, but obviously he's not going to get every person on the planet to stand in front of him while he talks. That's not the case. It could have been from one dinner table to the next. You know, from, from one dinner table to the next. But even if, it, even if he told him, all you got to do is share it at dinner tonight, we still find excuses, you know. We still find excuses. I'm the same way. Huh? We still find excuses. You know, I'm... What if they ask me something I can't answer? That's probably the most common. What if they challenge me with something? What if they know the Bible better than I do? What if they challenge me with, with something I, I can't answer? Or, or you know, I, I'm too young for these. These people don't want to hear from somebody my age. They, they're not going to listen to me. I'm just a kid. Like, they, they're not going to listen to me. I remember going to North Africa, um, Tunisia, a couple of other places uh, that were closed countries. And... Um, but I was going to be, have the opportunity to talk to some people. I wasn't even going to be talking about religion. I was just going to be talking about uh, drug abuse and prison th- things and stuff like that. It was kind of going to cl- be cloaked, the religion side of it. But even for that, I had to let my hair grow out. It's the only time my hair has grown out a little bit, like significant amount anyway, enough to where I can run a comb through it a little bit. Only time since 2003 my hair has grown out because they won't listen to you unless they see gray. I mean, they'll, they'll sit there. They won't throw you in a ditch or anything, but then I hear a word you say. But if you got some gray, then they listen to you. They figure you don't have a right, you haven't earned a right to tell me anything until you've gotten gray over it, you know. And uh, so I had to grow it out a little bit so it could be seen. What's sad is, in in our context, it's the reverse. We feel like all the young, cool people are the ones that have all the wisdom, and we, we don't want to hear from the old people, which is a sad scenario. But Either way, God corrected Jeremiah real quick. Look at verse 7. The Lord said, don't say that. Dave language. Don't say that. Don't say I'm only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Jeremiah doesn't need age or experience or education. Why not? It's not his message anyway. It's not his message anyway. Well, okay, fine. I've got the Bible. I, I got the Bible. I get it. I, I, it's your message, not mine. But I don't know how to articulate that. It's not your mouth. <laughs> He's like, Jeremiah, it's not your mouth either, bro. I designed it for this use. 
Like, this is what I'm made it for. By the way, side note, I understand that feeling of what if somebody stumps me in the word? You forget who's inside of you. If you're a believer, the author is in you. So first of all, accept that it's okay. If that happens, good. That means you've got an area of study. Go home, spend time with the Lord, and say, help me understand this, because that stumped me. Number two, realize that he's the one that they're arguing with, not you. You didn't write the book. Let him argue. Trust him to respond. He might shock you what comes out of your mouth. You know what I'm saying? So he says, you don't need all that. It's not your message. It's mine, your mouth. I'm the one that made Jeremiah, I made you for this. You think you can't do whatever it is, whether it's that or anything. You think you can't do this. You think you can't go through this. You think you can't bear it. But I'm telling you from the start, I designed you to face this. Like, I designed you to face. Just follow my lead. That's what he's saying here. Follow my lead. God designed you to face something? I don't know. Maybe you think it's too hard. It's too painful. Uh, Maybe you feel like it's more than you can bear. But what if it's not? What if it's not more than you can bear? What if God made you for it? And I know we're all thinking about worst-case scenarios, bad things, but I'm just saying, what if God made you for this? You, there's a lot of people that couldn't do it, whatever it is. A lot of people couldn't. You're right. A lot of people could. Probably most people could, but not you. Because God made you to do this. Would he do that? Can he do that? He does it over and over and over in his word. Over and over. It's not one specific event. It's a life of events. It's a life that he gave you. It's a life of events that he's purposefully given for you what it means is you're uniquely listen you're uniquely designed for the century that you're in and the people who are in it with you that's the simplest way to put it is that in phoenix well it's today tempe wherever you live is today does that mean forever maybe but all i know is you're uniquely designed for this century he didn't make you born 4,000 years ago, and he didn't make you born a 1,000 years in the future. Right now, he, you're uniquely designed for right now, and you're uniquely designed for the people who are right now. Wherever they are, right now. But don't mistake, by the way, that your purpose, therefore, isn't going to be easy. That doesn't mean because you're made for a purpose, it's going to be easy. It wasn't easy for him. Most of the people that God told Jeremiah to speak to refused it. They hated him. Jeremiah didn't actually go anywhere. So God never sent Jeremiah anywhere. He stayed right at home. But he obliterated home. Home turned into hell. Like you wanted to be anywhere else on the planet but Jerusalem at the time that Jeremiah was there. Right, you imagine riots and pandemonium and craziness and violence and destruction and there, there's no food, there's no anything. Like, is it literally in every way? Go look at the pictures of areas where Russia has rolled through Ukraine. That's home. You know, he brought the the nations that he said you're to go to. He brought them there. You want to know how bad it is? We're not teaching through it, but go read Lamentations. He wrote that too to describe what he saw. Toughest book in the Bible. Easily. 
Not to understand, but to, re- well, maybe, but to read. Horrible things. And I'm not trying to be discouraging. I'm trying to do just the opposite. I'm trying to say, this is good news. This is good news. This is good news. As much hell as Jerusalem was, as much as these people are in rebellion against God for generations, and now they're under attack and they're being exiled to this pagan nation, as horrible as all that was, God had somebody prepared beforehand. God had somebody prepared beforehand for this to bring them his word, and his word carries hope. Jeremiah had some hard things to say, but he also had hope. For us, when we share the truth, even in a place that feels like hell... Even if they reject it, we still bring hope. We still bring hope, you know. And remember, he knows us. Even even before we were born, he purposed us to glorify him. He gave us his word. He gave it to us. He put it in our mouth. It's right here. All you got to do is open your mouth and say what that says. His word is in your mouth. There you go. He charged us to proclaim his word to the nations, whether they're here or wherever. Go down Apache. In Tempe, go down Apache Avenue. The nations are right up over there. You know what I'm saying? There, this one reason why we chose, we felt God was leading us to Tempe is because there's so much cultural diversity here. There, the nations are right here. You don't have to go away. Love for you too, but you don't have to. So if you can get your brain around that, look at verse eight. We're almost done here. Verse eight. Do not be afraid of them then. I'm with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Don't be afraid. I'm right here to deliver you. Now, this is big, okay? This is big. Because this gets misused a lot. What does it mean that he's going to deliver you? doesn't mean that they can't kill you. Because, for one, he still dies eventually. doesn't mean that they can't hurt you. Because they do hurt him. And they'll hurt us, whoever they are. Jeremiah suffered, but God delivered him through it. Not to retire on a beach and drink margaritas in the shade with servants and whatever. That's not what it means when it says deliver. That's what we think. Well, he delivered me out of that, and now things are great. No, he delivered you out of that to the next. That's the thing. He's delivering you out of it to the next thing, to continue in order to keep going, it doesn't mean you're not going to die because everybody faces death. The word deliver literally means snatch away. It means snatch away. They may put their hands on you, Jeremiah. Dave, they may put their hands on you. Again and again and again. But I'll snatch you away so you can keep going. I'll snatch you away so you can keep going. God means basically one way I heard this put by another pastor was you are invincible until God's work is through in your life. That's, that's perhaps one way to think. If you're faithful to the what he designed you to do, if you're faithful to your design for him, then he's going to finish in you what he determined for you. If you're faithful to your design, he's going to finish in you what he prepared for you. And then you got to go home, be with him. Paul wrote it this way in 2 Timothy 4. Paul wrote in verse 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. What's he talking about? I'm dying. I'm going to die. Time to leave this earth has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Man, 
Don't you want to say that? Don't you want to say that? Don't you want to reach the point where you're ready to die because you know I fought the good fight? Like, I have nothing to be ashamed of before God. Nothing to be ashamed of. And because of that, he says, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. That's the best part. I don't even think he cares about the crown. I think he loves that Jesus is going to give it to him. Like I get to see him. He's going to give it to me. I don't think he gives a flip about a crown. I think he loves that Jesus is going to be there. And not only to me, but to everybody who loves his, see what he says, who have loved his appearing. It's about him. It's not about the crown. Everybody who's loved him. But here's the point. He didn't get there painlessly. You can make a note of this and read it in your own time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul wrote this in verse 24. Listen to me. I'm going to read through them quickly. He, Paul says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I floated adrift in the sea. This is, put this in, this is all real time. These things occurred to the man. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, flooding, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, the Jews who wanted to kill him because he preached about Jesus, danger from the Gentiles who wanted to kill him because he preached about Jesus, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, people who appeared to be on my side but weren't. In toil, in hardships, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all those things, just the daily pressure and anxiety of planting the churches. That was his life. But he said, I finished the race. I'm ready to go. In fact, second, shortly after writing what he wrote back there to Timothy, he was beheaded. By Rome. Having been delivered from all of those disasters. Disaster after disaster. He keeps going another disaster. Keeps going another disaster. Delivered from one after another. Just to continue until his purpose was finally complete. And then he's delivered from the last enemy. Death. Not by escaping it. But delivered through it. Snatched away from it. Death claimed him. God snatched him away from it. Sorry. That's not yours. (laughs) He's mine. And then he's home. Jeremiah gets frustrated too. You can read it in your own time. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And it's probably bad to say that. But it's Jeremiah chapter 20. Because Jeremiah gets fed up. Loses his cool. I could preach that whole chapter. But I'm not going to. You can just go read it in your own time. God you made me do. Why, why are you making me preach? Because everybody hates me for it. But if I try to stop I can't. If I try to walk away from it, I can't. You won't let me. Like the burden on me, you're driving me crazy. It's like he says there's like a fire in my bones. And and if I try to stop talking, it just comes out. He gets frustrated, but he goes to God with that. And he gets frustrated and it's mixed with this, God, you make me so mad. And then, but praise your holy name, you're awesome. You know, he's like most of us. He's just a man. And he's wrestling with it all, like struggling to get through it. It's okay to be frustrated, but bring it to God. It's okay. But then remember where it started. I knew you. I knew you before. And I made you for this. I made you for this. You're not special because God made you in the womb. Listen to me. You're not special because God made you in the womb. You're made in the womb to be special.
You understand that? God made you to be special. It started before the womb. It's not like, oh, you're special because you were born like everybody was born. You're special because he started before that. He started before that. So what's your purpose? Here we go. Let's wrap it up. What, is, therefore, is the purpose? I can give you three verses or three places. You can look at them in your own time. Read Psalm 139 first. Psalm 139 is the money. David says in the first half of that chapter, you can just read the first half, you're crafted in the womb by God himself. If you're crafted in the womb by God himself, you have to start there. Because if you don't start there, then you're going to wonder what purpose means in the first place. Start right there. I'm crafted in the womb by God. He made me. He knit me carefully. I'm made by him. Then Ephesians 2.10, one of my favorite verses. We are his workmanship. His design. His creative, what is workmanship? Workmanship is something you build. We are what he built. Why? We are his workmanship created for good works that were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, he saw something and he said, Tanya, you're going to be perfect for this before there was ever a Tanya. Therefore, Tanya is exactly who Tanya is. Because God said, you're going to be perfect for this, what is it? Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. Your mouth to the nations, make disciples. Does that mean that you sit down with textbooks? Could be, not necessarily. Jesus' disciples all began with relationships, dinner, healing, caring, listening, spending time with people. God has you here at this moment of history, not for your own blessing, but to be a light in darkness. What does that look like? It's okay to struggle, but wrestle with God and keep going. Your purpose is to preach, to proclaim, to say, repent, not in a hateful way. Come home. Repent. Let go of it. Whatever it is, you don't need it. Let go of it. Look back this way. The cross. The cross, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Look back at the cross, let go of it. You know, repent, by because the kingdom's here. And we, and, and we want to bring people to Jesus and disciple them and baptize, or baptize them and then disciple them and then send them out. And then we want to keep going and keep doing that. That's your call. That's your purpose. Your voice is unique. Your how is unique. Your audience is unique. But that's your purpose. And then one day you get to say, man, it's time to go home. Nothing to be ashamed of. I worked it, Lord. Worked it all the way through. I'm ready to see your face. You know what I'm saying? That That's where our purpose begins. As we always do, we're going to do another song. And I'll, I'll encourage you, uh, as you share his word, just remember it's his word. You know what I'm saying? Just remember it's his word. And the best way to be have his word in your mouth is to have it in your heart. Spend some time in it. We're supposed to be seeking him for this church this year, right? Spend some time in his word. Let the first thing you do in the morning, you don't have to get up and make coffee and have your time with the Lord. All oh, You can, but you don't have to do that. Take a second, open your, the first thing your eyes look at. Pop your phone on, read a verse. Two verses, three verses, five verses, ten verses. A chapter, whatever. Let that be the first thing you look at in the morning. Sometimes you may not feel like it. It's okay.
It's okay. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that people would turn to your cross. If there's anybody here today that's never done that before, that's never recognized that they need to let go of sin. They need to repent. I pray they do it today. They confess it to you. Lord, I'm done. I let go. I come home. Bring me home. Be my father. Lord, that they would, they would confess that and lay it at your feet, that they would trust in what you did on the cross, that you did die for that sin, that you are alive, that no grave can hold you because you created all things. Lord, let them trust in that. And then we know, Father, that you're going to snatch us away, that even the grave cannot hold us. Let us be faithful as we share your word, trusting in that for our future. Ask it in Christ's name. Amen.